0: You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village, or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com.
1: Um, the focal passage today is John 3, 1-21. If anyone does need a Bible, there should be some back by the red tree over there if you need to grab one. so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord.
0: You can be seated and children can be dismissed to classes. Good morning. I saw what you were doing. You were sitting there and then you were like, wait, I've heard this one before. I saw that. <clears throat> My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors of the village. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this morning. We have a boatload to get to So uh, we're just, we're going to do that. Uh, I want to take you back to way back to the 1900s real quick, Uh, circa 1999, all right? Uh, There is a sci-fi film called The Matrix, and there are no spoilers here if that's your jam. That was, this was 21 years ago. Um, There's a guy called Neo, and he is posed with a question He's confused. He goes to this guy named Morpheus, and he's like, I don't know what's happening. And Morpheus, uh, he, he gives him two options. He says, choose the blue pill and, and go live your life and, and wake up tomorrow, and you won't remember any of this, and you go believing whatever you want to believe. But if you choose the red pill, if you choose the red pill, then I will show you a reality that you have never seen I will peel back the layers of life behind the curtain. And if you choose that pill, things will never be the same. I I think that's what Jesus is doing in John 3, right? And there are no pills on the table. He, He poses the same thing to a guy called Nicodemus. And we don't know how he responded. We don't know the full kind of situation of what's going on here. We, we only know what we see. Uh, we don't know his response, but we learn a little about the kingdom beyond the one that we've been living in since birth, the greater kingdom, the one Jesus came to establish. So we see this guy, Nicodemus, he's a man of high status, right? Uh, it's what it, what it says here in the text. He's part of the Jewish ruling elite, there are seventy uh, Jewish elders called the Sanhedrin, and they rule uh, all of the Jews. and And that is is not just religious stuff, but like life governance stuff. So he is one of the elite. He's super educated. He's of high status, all the way around. He comes to Jesus by night, right? We don't know what that means, but we know that he doesn't come to Jesus in the middle of the day. They kind of get the idea that he's kind of like sneaking, and, and he finds him at night. Uh, the, the obvious reading is that he doesn't want to be seen interacting with Jesus. Um, and he says this, he says, Rabbi. Which is, like, as we're reading the Bible, we can't, we can't know tones, and we can't kind of know, and so we get to do work to figure out what's going on. But, but what, he, what he says is, is Rabbi, like, it, it's, it's uh, respectfully, right? It's, it's a, a term filled with respect. Um, Jesus had no formal training. If you remember way back when, probably back in the 1900s as well, there was a guy named William Hung, and he was on a show called American Idol, and, and he was the worst singer you've ever heard in your life. And he sang, and the judges were like, what? And he said, I, I have had no formal training. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, that's like obvious. Just the opposite here, okay? He's had no formal training, and he's like singing the paint off the walls, except he's not singing, he's teaching in a way that intrigues Nicodemus, that says like, I I don't know what I'm in for, but I'm here in the night. Rabbi, and this is what he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God clearly Whoever the we is, maybe maybe part of the ruling Jews, maybe maybe the Jews at large. Like we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now it would be real easy to say, oh, he must know that Jesus is the Savior of the world. That he's going to die for our sin. That he's going to hang on the cross. No one knows that. We know that because we we can fast forward to the end of the book. They don't know that all he's saying is you are a teacher maybe a prophet you've come from God because the sign the things that you're doing Man, no one can do that unless God is with him, right? So in this encounter, we have kind of this human interest element. Like, it draws us into this guy, Nicodemus, and he has attention. He shows up at night, and he inquires of Jesus. And we don't know what happened prior or or during or after in any detail, but we can perceive that he is curious about who Jesus is. And he says, the things that you do, they're not normal. The way that you teach the signs that you have done are out of this world. Surely you are from God. And we imagine, again, that he comes at night because this type of curiosity that he's putting before Jesus could cost Nicodemus a great deal. It could cost him his life, but certainly it could cost him all of the things of life, like the uh, elite status that he has. And, and if they found out, it's early on in, in this account, but, but already Jesus is kind of, p- like, uh, he, he's, he's picking a fight with the Jews And so he knows that this is not safe for him to be having this conversation. So the tension that Nicodemus is dealing with is is maybe the tension that we're dealing with. What do I do with Jesus? And and what will it cost me if it's true? Accept him? Accept his teaching? Accept wherever he's from? Or, Or reject him? Walk away, do the thing that I've been doing for as long as I've been doing it. Or maybe even to consider him, uh, maybe he's just a, a good teacher, right? What if he is the one from God? The one that's promised that, that will save the world and, and save me. So the response that Jesus offers is even more than, than he knew to ask, right? Right? He's intrigued on the surface, but he had no idea of the thread that he was pulling when he approached Jesus or where that would lead. It's like, you, you know, those like mob uh, movies where, where this, you know, uh, some reporter goes around and he starts asking questions and the guy says, hey, this is bigger than you, kid. Like you don't know what you're dealing with, right? It's exactly what's happening here. Like Nick, bro, <laughs> like, you're in over your head. I'm in over my head? Do you, know, do you not know who I am? I'm at the top. Like, you're a carpenter. And Jesus says, you have no idea what you're poking around. Maybe we found ourselves in similar place. Maybe even today that, that we would find ourselves curious about Jesus and maybe even convinced that, uh, or, or persuaded by some about this book or about who God is or about how we get to sit at the table with God and his people forever. What he's saying is, Nick, you, you don't even know what you're looking for and you wouldn't even know if you found it. Let me show you, right? So the big idea to enter the kingdom One must see the kingdom and embrace the king. The first thing we see here is that that God's work opens eyes. God's work opens eyes. I want to start reading in verse 3. Jesus answered him, which is funny because. Nicodemus didn't ask a question. <laughs> uh, he made an observation. So Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, which is uh, like language for like, for real though. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? What a weird thing to say. Jesus answered Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Check this out. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Right. We don't know what we don't know. And I, I think I've said that more times, or thought that, in the last 18 months than all of my life combined. What we don't we don't know what we don't know, and and Jesus, he kind of often speaks with with layers and layers of, of wit and, and understanding, and and we get to read between the lines of, of metaphor, and he gives what he intends to exactly as he intends to 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 who he desires to give it to, but but not maybe not everything that you're asking for, and all these interactions with Jesus. He engages and he speaks and then he slices with with revelation that can only come from above. He says, Nick, truly, truly, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again, he says, right? And we know some famous politician uh, made this kind of like a a saying, is this... Is he a born-again Christian? I'm a born-again Christian. And just so you know, that's a, a, a rather redundant statement because to be born again, then you become a Christian. If you're a Christian, then, like, you are born again. So, like, to be born-again Christian is like Christian Christian, the same thing, right? Um, as we read it, though, Nicodemus, he doesn't ask for this, but, but maybe, maybe he did by acknowledging insight that he has perceived about Jesus, right? This idea of being born again, it, it clearly confuses Nicodemus. And, and to be fair, like the word that Jesus used, uh, the, the New Testament primarily is written in Greek. And so the word is, it can mean uh, born from above, like meaning like born from heaven or born from the beginning or born for a long time or born again. And so it can mean like timing or location. And so so Nick shows up in the cloak of night, intrigued, but undoubtedly thinking that he has the upper hand, and the answer Jesus offers to his tension is it, it, it goes something like this: Nicodemus, you can't see who I am. You can't see what I'm doing. You can't see where I'm from unless you undergo a fundamental change a change so fundamental it's as if you are experiencing birth again for the very first time Nicodemus the the fundamental law abiding literalist that he is how can i get back into my mother's womb and Jesus, at this point, like knows exactly who he's dealing with. He's like, oh, geesh. Right? Real talk, unless one is born of water, like natural birth, in the flesh, and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, the flesh is, is flesh, and the spirit is spirit, and the flesh cannot produce a spiritual birth. You cannot by your own merit, produce something spiritual, right? But a new birth, a a new life where eyes can see the kingdom must come from the soul. Like, don't be surprised. Like, why are your eyebrows so high on your head right now, Nicodemus? Don't be confused. Do not marvel. Why would Jesus say this? Because the entire foundation of what Nicodemus was living in was based on externals. It was based on the flesh, how the flesh earned him a seat at God's table. It was the Jewish rituals and washings and diet and and who you could eat with and who you could touch or what you could touch. Don't marvel that your world is about to be flipped on its head. Don't be amazed that there is literally nothing anyone can do to earn a place in the kingdom of God. You must be born of the Spirit. In fact, the wind... Blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. It's pretty practical analogy. I don't know if you've ever seen, like, football, like, uh, American football, you know, NFL, college, whatever, kickers. Today, maybe, like, search it up. Like, wind blowing field goal kickers uh, missing the field goal, right? What happens is, is the guy comes up and he kicks the football and it's going straight. And then the wind blows and you see the thing like hook so far left that you can't even believe it. That's what he's saying. Like, like the wind is at work and you can't see the wind, but you can see that it's at work or, or as seasons change around here and you see, uh, You see trees, like, swaying in the wind, or you see leaves, you know, falling and and what appears to be uh, flying and and rolling and moving. Uh, Is it the trees that sway themselves? Are the trees animate, moving around? Is the football, is there like a a beacon, Uh, is it steering itself? Do the leaves actually fly? No. And neither do people come alive to the Spirit without the Spirit giving eyes to see. You can see the evidence of it on the surface, in the flesh. But but there are things happening that you are not aware of that you can't see. So it is with everyone who is born of the flesh. Born of the Spirit is not the work of God the flesh. It's not a human contribution. It's nothing that you can do, Nicodemus. It's nothing that you can do, anyone in this room. We can't, we can't even have eyes to see or see us. Do you marvel that salvation is from the Lord and, and not through your own efforts? Does that frustrate you that you don't have control That that your salvation before God is not the work of your own hands, so that no one may boast. And and what does it matter? Why would this truth matter? Well, it, it matters because the Spirit is the one who, who saves, not you. So he's trying to tell Nicodemus. So our life in Christ gets to be one of, of gratitude. One of of gratefulness. One of delight. Is that the way that you've thought about your Christian life? Or has it felt more like duty and obligation? I mean, I have to do these things. And I have to keep these rules. And man, like, I just feel like this life takes my joy away. because, Because if I didn't have to do these things, then I could do all these things that might give me life. And Jesus is saying that's exactly not the case. Right it matters because no one is too far gone for the spirit to give eyes to see. No one in your life. Not even you. Not your neighbor to the left or to the right or 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 your family member or your friend or your enemy or your coworker. No one is too far gone for the spirit to breathe life to show them things that they can't see. Why does it matter? It matters because we think that, that the law or guilt or, or cold judgment or, or a better tactic will persuade people to see the Lord. It won't. We get to plead with the Spirit that he might open eyes, and we get to do our part and come alongside and proclaim and, and, and love and all those things but it is the Spirit work, Spirit's work. It matters because this foundational truth is what shapes your life and the life on the planet. The most authentic version of yourself. Faith is from God. And that means that we don't get to walk with arrogance and haughtiness and say, look at how I live my life and look at how you live your life. But we get to know we've been rescued, that we all walked in darkness, but, but the Spirit has allowed us to see. The Spirit is at work in ways that we don't know, and that is a beautiful mystery, and God is knowable, and He makes Himself known in lots of ways, but, there's, but, but mystery remains, and we can see the evidence of the Spirit. When we think that, that being known by God, or, or salvation from the Lord, or, or our lives being conformed to the life of Christ and and us putting forth good works and us living a life pleasing to God or anything else, when we think that that's our work, we think that leaves can fly. To enter the kingdom, one must see the kingdom and embrace the king. The second thing we see is open eyes give way to belief. Belief. Start in verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered, Nicodemus says, I don't understand. And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Like, who has the high ground? Jesus is like, Is this a joke? You don't know anything. Nicodemus. You're one of the most influential leaders in our little part of the planet here. You are the leader of God's people. You don't know anything. Nicodemus, you can't even lead yourself. He goes on, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? It's like, man, you're not even getting the basic building blocks of this life. Let alone the kingdom that that you can't see. No one is ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And then he says this really weird thing, which we'll come back to in a few. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You say that I'm from God, but but you won't even hear me regarding earthly things. I could say that the sky is blue, and you would object. You're not getting things in this life. How are you going to believe me regarding the things of heaven? right? No no one has gone to heaven except me who have come down from heaven. And then he says, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so must I be lifted up, that whoever believes may have eternal life. What is it that grants us eternal life? Is it to do all the things? Is it to have like a good name in the community? Is it to give all your money away to care for the poor? Is it to live a life of perfect righteousness in every way? Is it to do justice however you define that? Whoever believes may have eternal life. Right? And we can assume that. We can reject that. But hear me, when Nicodemus heard that, he's like the, the little brain exploding emoji. Like he couldn't even. How, how is what you're saying, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't get what you're saying. And Jesus is like, I know you don't. You can't see what you don't know exists, and I'm here to tell you that the Spirit gives eyes to see, and with those eyes that see, one must believe in me. That's what we get to do. We have lots of cultural opportunities to see this type of thing in play, right? Maybe you've seen uh, Stranger Things, maybe you haven't, but but the idea is there's this world, and then there's like the upside down, and there's like this other world that looks exactly like this one, sort of. And it like interplays a little bit, and, and you kind of don't know what's real and what's, what's not, and they interact, but, 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 but you can't see it. But once you do see it, then you can hardly unsee it. Or like that terribly animated movie, The Polar Express, Tom Hanks. I, I think it's terribly animated. I can hardly watch the movie. Read the book. I'll never tell you to do that, ever, right? Read the book. But anyway, the movie's fine. But like, gosh, that ice scene in the train, it's a disaster. So, (laughs) Polar Express is this. You can't hear the bell if you don't believe. Or is it that you can't believe unless you hear the bell? I don't know. This is the type of layer that Jesus is talking about. it's, It's fair to say that this passage is oddly a little difficult, and that's okay. There's like some stuff all over the place. Jesus is not speaking just into the universe. He's speaking to a guy who caught him as he was winding down for the night. And what, he knocked on his door and Jesus answered the door in his slippers and he's like, can I help you? And Nick's like, here's the thing. Like, how are you doing it? I know that you're like something special. What is it? And Jesus is like, sure, come on in. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus in the moment, but he's surely mindful of you. Surely mindful of this day, as he would allow John to record such things. And what's revealed is a surprise to Nicodemus. Jesus is exposing that that the flesh blinds us to the spirit, and the spirit overcomes the flesh. I talked to someone uh, some time ago, and they were uh, in a marriage, and they were like, "Marriage is really hard, and sometimes I don't even want to be married." but the reason why I'm continuing to be in and figure this stuff out is because I know that this is what God has for me. I know that this is what's pleasing to God, but day to day, I don't feel it, right? And that's tough, but I think it's, I think it's this revelation and in Galatians, Paul says that, this, that the flesh and the spirit, they're contrary to one another. That they battle against one another. And we live in this kind of in-between of, of Jesus has redeemed everything and it's a wrap. It's a done deal. That we might believe. And yet we live in the brokenness and the mar, in the stain of sin. Until one day when all things are made new and the, the new heavens and the new, new earth and, and judgment comes and, and all of the wicked are removed and, and cast out. And all that are in him are redeemed and, and made new. That's, that's what we see. It's a, it's a tough thing. Nick, Nicodemus goes from a curious if not nervous late night investigator to one presented with the opportunity to believe something that will change his life now and forever forever. And if you aren't willing to hear the one who is from heaven, if you don't have a vision for truth, Nicodemus, you can't embrace me. You can't can't embrace this kingdom. If you can't see the kingdom, there is no way you can behold the king. And what Jesus is doing is he's kind of defrosting the layers over the eyes of all of us. Like most of us live in Ohio, if you've ever gotten into your car or your heat's been out in your car and you try to drive with frosted windows, like that is the worst thing, right? I remember in high school having to do that and you're like, I'm, I got this and maybe you take something and scrape it, maybe you have a scraper, that would be great if you had one of those. A Credit card or your license that you might break in the process or whatever it is you scrape something and all that's doing That's the work of the flesh trying to get you to navigate this life And maybe you see some scrapes through and, and then you stick your head out the window and you find out one It's too cold for that. It's unsafe. It's unsustainable. You can't do that and then maybe you start your journey and you don't know where you're going or if you're going in the right direction that's what we try to do with our own eyes. But man, with the heat on, Defrost doing the work. We can see, and because we can see, we can engage with the world around us, with what comes our way. See, so many people think that that they open their eyes and they find the Lord. What, what Jesus is, is laying before us is really what, what theologians would call like the doctrine of regeneration, right? And John, of all the gospel writers, he engages with like some really thick theology. This, this doctrine of regeneration says that the Lord opens your eyes that you might see him. That is that, that God brings a person to new life and they are, they are born again from a a previous state of of separation from God and, and subjection to decay and death, when we see him, then we believe. And when we believe, we are brought into the newness and the fullness of life. Then our life can begin to be conformed to the image of Jesus, not before. Then our life can be redeemed from sin. And and then our life can be transformed back into a place where our lives reflect the worship and the glory and the honor of the creator of all things. To enter the kingdom, one must see the kingdom and embrace the king. The last thing is this. Belief in Jesus gives life. Stop me if you've heard this before. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, right? He wasn't there to, he didn't send Jesus to judge, to to declare guilty, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, not declared guilty, not facing judgment. But hear this. Whoever does not believe in Jesus is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. Jesus says this to Nicodemus in the middle of the night. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I mean, whether you know this or not, or whether you know what this means, this church kind of upholds a reformed theological position. What that means is that we, that we herald the doctrines of grace as the foundation for our life with Jesus, our life in God, our life in Christ, right? And, and those doctrines of grace are, are that we are saved by grace alone, period. That we are saved by, by God's grace, His gracious gift to us alone. And that that happens through faith alone. That it's not by our works. And, and that uh, grace through faith is in Christ alone, He is the one that does the work that we could not do perfectly. And and how do we know what that is? Well, it's in the scriptures alone. And all of that and all of our life gets to be for God's glory alone. That is the song of the gospel. That is the melody of good news for us who are in Christ. But I'm not Nor are we as a whole more reformed than the Bible, than the scriptures. And and although the Spirit moves and Jesus proclaims, we must believe. Like whatever the Spirit's up to that you can't see, at some point it engages your life and it meets you at a point to where you get to believe or you get to reject him. Right? And he opens eyes that we might see. And if he opens our eyes, we might see and behold. But at the end of the day, this comes to a point on the surface where we get to accept or reject. Right? To inherit uh, eternal life by faith, we are responsible for our disbelief. And we are beneficiaries of true belief. John 3.16, as one says, is a concise summary of the gospel message tying the events of Jesus' death to God's love for the world he created. It's remarkable in its expansion of divine care. He cares for us, not only for the people of Israel, but for the entire world. Right? So this this one-of-a-kind son of God has come to give life. And Nicodemus, he didn't know What a fountain of youth, the only way to overcome this life, to defeat death, to live forever without perishing. Further, he he let us know that we are already doomed to perish. We are already condemned by our sin. There's nothing that we have to do to inherit judgment for sin, but, but follow our hearts from birth. Well the irony is, or maybe it's not an irony, is that Jesus knows Nicodemus so well that he's trying to help him and he's speaking to him directly. He who was afraid to approach Jesus during the day because of what it might cost him shows up in the stealth of night only to be told that that if he actually wants to find his life, the kingdom And the king, then he has to trust Jesus in full exposure of the light. Nicodemus, let the light shine on your belief, and if you believe, it's because of the Spirit's work, and it will lead you to life. There is no room in my kingdom for secret belief. And, you know, drug company advertisements, weight loss commercials, ads of all type, they like to find these, uh, these few people that prove the validity of their product, right? And they like to give personal testimonials, and, and then they have the fine print down there, and this is results not typical, and all those things, and and, and then they let them try to persuade us. And, and God, through, through John's pen, shows us Nicodemus curiously inquiring about what Jesus could offer. And Jesus over-delivers on what Nicodemus thought remotely possible. But there's a catch. He must lose his life as he knows it. You want to gain the kingdom and the king? Nicodemus, you got to lose your life. But that's no loss at all. Because you're already spiraling. You're already perishing. You don't even know it. But what Jesus ends up delivering on is so much more. He tells us that, that you are dead in your sin and you are condemned by jury and judge the Lord himself already. Your end is death. You're searching Blindly. But today he invites you to see, to believe, and and by your belief to embrace the king that we've been blind to, that will open up the joy of life now and forever. Here's the thing. See, John 3.16, as we've known it, as you've heard it, as you've seen it on things athletes face paint or wherever you've seen it it's as if it's just like out of nowhere but we have to remember that this is a conversation and I know you don't like to be taken out of context and so we can't take this out of context so it happens just before God so loved the world right that, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life just before that Jesus gives this analogy And he makes this statement, remember, about Moses in verse 13? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Right? What might be lost on us isn't lost on Nicodemus. He's saying, wait. See, here's the context. In Numbers 21, God invited his people to be a covenant people to live life with him. They didn't do a very good job of that. Jesus, or God judges them by sending serpents, poisonous snakes, to bite them, and many die. They turn their hearts to this. and say, Moses, all right, bro, like we're... We were foolish. We're back in. Like we're God's people again. And God says this. So Moses, uh, he tells Moses to do this. And, and so Moses made a bronze snake and he mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. He was given life. Right? This Jew in this conversation knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He knew exactly what Jesus was claiming, that he heals and he gives life. Jesus is telling us that Jesus is the one who overcomes death, the fullness of life with God, with God and his people as light in a dark world. Imagine having been bitten by a snake and the venom is in you and it's a wrap. And you see people all around you dying. Sounds tough. This is your reality. This is what Jesus is saying. This is, you've already been bitten. This is, this is your reality apart from me. And this is the, the reality that John 3 meets us in. But if you would only just look at Jesus and just believe That he is the medicine that gives you life of God for sin. You will live and you will see and you will behold. Let's go back to 1999. I'll close it down like this. Let me read the the interaction between Morpheus and Neo, right? Morpheus says, do you want to know what it is? The matrix is everywhere. It's all around us. I know, I'm not Lawrence, whatever his name is, it's fine. My voice is not his voice. He's pretty compelling. It's all around us, even now, in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window, or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth, Neo says. What truth? Morpheus says, that you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. He reaches for the red pill. This is your last chance. After this, there's no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember All I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Neo takes the red pill, and you know what Morpheus tells him? Follow me. Man, the band can come up. We don't know what Nicodemus did here. As John writes, The scene changes and we move on. But we do know the same truths guide this moment. And and my prayer and my hope is that that today be the day that we see the kingdom, that we enter the kingdom by grace through faith, and that, that today we would embrace the king. Man, I don't know where this meets your life. But we get to choose to follow Jesus today. And maybe you've done that for a long, long time. Maybe you're wayward and drifting. Maybe you've never done that in your entire life. Right? Wherever you are, you can sit right where you are. You can stand up and sing songs to God or about Him. You can pray over there on that bench. Someone would love to pray with you by that red tree over there. Make today the day Kingdom, Make today the day that we get to embrace the King. Father, thank you for your word. Sometimes it it trips us up, just like it did Nicodemus. Thank you that we have the, the full counsel of it, of everything that you wanted us to know about you. And there's still so much that we don't know. Today, would you let us, every single one of us, not just... Let, this, uh, let our response be numb or negligent. Would you let us be all in? Holy Spirit, would you open eyes and remove scales and defrost the windows of our heart so that we might see what's at stake, so that we might see the kingdom, that we might see the, the king, and that we might embrace you with everything that we have because of your love for us. In Jesus' name.